Recovery Elevator, episode 421. I believe that there is an ability to elevate further beyond any kind of victim mentality and uh, really feel in control, even when things are out of control. It's okay. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's episode, we have Stephanie. She's 44 years old from Georgetown, Massachusetts, and took her last drink on September 6th, 2020. Great job, Stephanie. Big announcement. The Recovery Elevator podcast recently surpassed 10 million downloads. My goodness. First and foremost, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you to the 421 courageous interviewees who shared their story with the goal of helping others. Thank you to the RE team, to Ty, who edits the podcast, Chris, another podcast host, Odette, a former podcast host. Thank you, Robin, for doing the show notes. Thank you to all of our Cafe RE members. Now, this milestone is a huge team win, and the listener, you, are a big part of this as well. We are all moving towards the same goal, a life of wholeness without alcohol. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, what's next? Who knows? We are taking this project one episode at a time. And I do have an ask, listeners. If you have found this podcast helpful, please take a brief moment to leave a review in either iTunes or Spotify. All right, and now let's hear from an incredible sponsor, Exact Nature. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. Recently, I've been taking Exact Nature's Z's pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC-free, and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to talk to you about keeping it simple, or sometimes, as it's said, keep it simple, stupid. So, Paul, I'm talking to you right now. Let's do our best to keep this episode simple. Let's face it. Life is getting more and more complicated, which means keeping it simple is more important than ever. In fact, there's even a movement around this concept. It's called minimalism. Keeping it simple has been emphasized by great minds like Confucius, St. Paul, Leonardo da Vinci, and it was Einstein who said, the key to a happy life is a simple mind. In the age where almost everything plugs in, we need to remember that as human beings, we don't plug in. We don't recharge by connecting to a wall socket, at least yet. Oftentimes, when we are feeling squirrely, agitated, or triggered, it's because we are drained. We are famished, annoyed, agitated, or fatigued. I call this FAF. That's famished, annoyed, agitated, and fatigued. Actually, in the theme of keeping it simple, there is no need to create another acronym. <laughs> Let's just stick with HALT. 
That's hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Sorry, guys. Thaf. That was a lame joke. I know. But hey, rule 22, let's try to have some fun here. Okay, back to halt, which again is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Okay, so halt and keep it simple. When we are having a day that challenges our decision to ditch the booze, I can almost guarantee you that it's one of those four things. You are either hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Possibly a combo, trifecta, or maybe all of them at once. With the theme of keeping it simple, when you're feeling pulled to drink, start by addressing each. Ask yourself, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Apart from angry, the antidotes to these are quite simple. Hungry, eat some food and drink some water. Lonely, phone a friend. Tired, take a nap. Angry, phone a friend and let them know what's going on. So yes, addiction can be complicated with a capital C, but in reality, if you're addressing the halt, the hungry, angry, lonely, or tired in your life, you're gonna be just fine. What are other ways to keep life and recovery simple? Well, I think now is a good time to insert the most common recovery cliche, one day at a time. Thinking about staying sober tomorrow or any other date in the future is a complete waste of time. You're quitting drinking for today only. That's it. Here's a solid life motto. Do your best. Things didn't work out the way you wanted. Did you do your best? If you did, then who cares? If not, then do your best next time. Here's another strategy to keep it simple. Don't buy into the thoughts in your mind. The mind thinks. It does this incessantly. The mind has 60 to 90,000 thoughts per day, and studies show that most of them are wrong. You don't have to listen to these thoughts, let alone let these thoughts control your life. Now, this strategy takes much practice, and I recommend the book The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer if you're struggling with this concept. Here's another one that you may have heard Chris say on this podcast. Do the next right thing. Life is the summary of all the decisions you make. When faced with a fork in the road, simply do the next right thing. Don't know what the next right thing is? Not knowing what choice to make is a very common human experience. Phone a friend and ask somebody else what they would do. Another strategy to keeping it simple is to know what's most important to you. For me, sobriety is at the top of that list, as everything else in my life would go to shit if I started drinking again. So make sure your actions are in line with what is most important to you. Keep it simple. It's important to have empty spaces on your calendar. You don't need to have every hour of every day filled with work or some enriching task or project. Listeners, keep it simple with water. Hydrate yourself with H2O throughout the day. I read a study once that said most daytime fatigue is tied to a lack of hydration or a lack of water in our bodies. Keep it simple with a simple spiritual practice. Start your day by saying a couple things that you are thankful for. Do the same thing before you go to bed. Keeping it simple and going back to the basics. If you have food and water lined up for today and a good idea of where to get it tomorrow, then you are succeeding in life. In addition, if you have a safe place to live and sleep at night, then you're kicking major ass in life. In the most simplistic form, the goal of life is to survive. And if you're listening, you've done that successfully for many years. In the scientific world, there's a name for keeping it simple. It's called Ocam's razor. It means the simplest answer or hypothesis is usually the correct one. It's the same thing in recovery. Usually the simplest path or the path of least resistance is the correct one. 
I used to own an arcade business, and when a machine broke, I almost always forgot the most simple and effective remedy, the good old power cycle, or unplug it and plug it in again. The human equivalent to the power cycle is a good night's rest. Let's keep it simple. Now, keeping it simple isn't always easy at first, and it's not second nature. As Steve Jobs said, simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple, but it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. Here are a couple more strategies to keep it simple. No is a complete sentence. Learn to say no. Keep it simple and meditate. So much recovery work can be done just by sitting by yourself. Keep it simple and go for a walk outside. We make the path to wholeness so complicated. Take a stroll outside and you'll feel better. Here is my last tip to keeping your sobriety simple. Embrace all emotions. That all emotions are created equal and you need them all equally. Remind yourself that no action is needed, and that's in bold and underlined in my notes, no action is needed if you're having a bad day or two. No action is needed if you're feeling fear, anger, lack, or unworthiness. On the flip side, no action is needed if you are feeling happy, joyous, or free. Listeners, I want to know how you guys keep it simple. Every Monday when a podcast comes out, we post a tile on Instagram and let us know how you keep it simple in the comment area. I hope you all enjoyed this intro. I had a good time putting it together. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Stephanie. In a perfect world, we all want to feel our best at all times. However, through life and recovery, I've had to learn to accept the wobbles that come with this journey. You've all heard me talk about my dip days. For me, managing these has come hand in hand with using tools that I have learned through therapy. I love knowing that I have agency and that even when I'm not feeling great, I can feel empowered to take positive action. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient and flexible. Also, it's entirely online. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. Stephanie, how are you? I am doing well, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, Stephanie, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I'm excited to be here with you today. When I look at my calendar and I say, oh, I've got an interview today. I'm always, I'm always excited. It's always the highlight of the day because I'm on the same journey as you, Stephanie. And the way this whole modern day recovery thing, well, in 1935, it started with Bill W. and Dr. Bob is, it's just a conversation with somebody else who has made the decision to quit drinking, regardless of what day they're on or the amount of success, those air quotes that yeah, they, they frame around their sobriety. Having a conversation with a like-minded individual, regardless of the parameters, the topic, it just feels good. Human beings are wired for connection. So Stephanie, I'm excited to be here with you today. How are you feeling about the interview? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good because I have been listening to you for quite some time and I just always wanted to be a part of a conversation like this. I don't think anyone has ever said, hey, what's your story? So it's just really appreciate being here. Yeah. Well, thank you for 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 being here. You, you know, mm -hmm. you're right. Hey, what's your story? A lot of times interviewees come on this podcast and 
their deepest, darkest secret is their <laughs> drinking or their drinking problem or, or how they drink, how they used to hide it, how they used to moderate it and failures with that, right? And failure is an option in life. In fact, it's not a bad thing. With every failure or relapse or field research, we learn from it. We, we gather our experiences and we move forward. So with that framework, um, this is a neat conversation. It's a, it's, it's a really interesting dialogue that we get to have of how fast we open up. This is not surface level stuff. And, and then we just go <laughs> for it. Two strangers, right? This is episode, I think is going to be 421 or around there. I've never met Stephanie. This is the first one. And we just hit 10 million downloads, Stephanie. I did a simple, a little bit of math. I did 10 million divided by 414. And that's each episode is about 25,000 downloads. So Stephanie, thank you for being here. Thank you for your courage. And I'm excited to do this. Let's get into it, Stephanie. When was your last drink? Can I say congratulations though? 10 million is san- fantastic. Ah, thank you, Stephanie. It was a neat day. <laughs> that is cool. Okay. That's a number. My last drink, September 6th, 2020. All right. Yeah. I'm September I like- 7th. I, I, that's a great time frame. right after Labor Day. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> the summer's winding down and it wasn't like I enjoyed that summer. I got my ass kicked by that summer, but uh, yeah, yeah. great to I, hear. I like to say I pulled out of a nosedive in COVID. You know? Oh, I like that. I like that. You're right. That is that's right in the middle of COVID. Those are some of the most badass alcohol-free dates. Okay. But before we get into that, give listeners a little background about yourself, Stephanie, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Do you have a family? And then what do you like to do for fun? All right. Age 44. So I am rocking middle age and I like it. Um, I'm up here on the North shore of Massachusetts. I'm in Georgetown. Having grown up in central mass, I never heard of this place. So I love it. It was it was a little discovery. It was a little adventure. I do. I have a family, and I'm slightly obsessed with them. Um, I have two little boys. They're seven and nine, and then my husband is. And I say this with love, like a big kid. He keeps us young and laughing. So I've got my boys, big and small, and furry. I've got two white boxer dogs, and mm. they're just freaking hilarious. So that is our little unit up here on a couple acres in Georgetown. We love it for fun. It is spending time with them. You know, life has slowed down in such a way that being with them is fantastic. But we do have to kind of have our alone time, take care of ourselves. And when I do that, I discovered two years ago this reservoir, like two miles away. And I walk that reservoir and I see swans and ducks and just it's my happy place. So I'll walk and run there. Just did a half marathon, which was a blast. I like Star Trek movies and sci-fi like a lot. And it happened in 2009. I mean, excuse me if I'm going on a tangent, but like Chris Pine coming in to be Captain Kirk in 2009, that was just that. That was, that was a good pick. pick. That was a good pick. Fabulous. So anything Star Trek and um, oh, Beat Saber. Have you played Beat Saber? I'm not oh, familiar with Beat Saber. All right. If if you are in the Guitar Hero days back in like 2007, rock band, Guitar Hero, video games, this is Beat Saber in VR. And Mm. uh, when my kids go to bed, we steal their headsets and and we play. So yeah. Real quick. Have have you been to a Star Trek convention? That's next up. Of course. Of course. Oh, you have. Of course. Of course. I had my red dress and it's a dress, not a shirt. So I survived and my husband was Captain Kirk and my oldest son, who's nine now at the time, he was like a year and a half and we gave him a little phaser and he's running around the Boston Convention Center and it was, yeah, yeah. 
I love it. Yeah, sci-fi invites us to explore a totally different world, <laughs> regardless of the one we're living in. One of hope. For sure. Yeah. All right, Stephanie. Thanks for the introduction, a little background about yourself. Let's get into your story with alcohol. And you can take it from start to finish, or this is a prompt I like to ask is, you know, when did you first recognize alcohol was no longer serving you? So yeah. take it from where you want to start. I'll probably interject with some questions, but I'm excited to hear your story and, and share it with, uh, share it with the audience. Yeah. I first drank 15 high school, older senior boyfriend who is 18. And I just entered the crew. And as I can say, as hindsight is, can be a bitch sometimes. <laughs> I know that those types of situations made me really socially anxious. So the first couple of times I tried without alcohol, it was very nerve wracking. That third time I broke down and said yes to a Budweiser can, right? And wow, was I just the coolest person in the room from there on in. So I thought, so honestly, I, I won't belabor high school. It was just one of those things where I rolled with the crowd that went out and drank at the Bonner building or out somewhere in the woods and ran from the cops. And uh consequences here or there, you know, went home drunk, my two pals, Jeff and Jason carried me in and my mom was all worried. Stephanie, what's wrong? Oh, I see. You know, those kinds of things mm -hmm. in high school. Um, but I would say it was at least once a weekend from my sophomore year to my high school year, but rule follower, strict household, no drinking in my household. I did not grow up with parents who were drinking in front of me. So I also had to make sure the grades were good and, you know, it didn't look like an issue. Certainly I didn't experience many consequences. So when I went off to college up a uh, Plymouth state up in New Hampshire, where it's very cold and nothing else to do except for the four bars in the downtown area, I jumped right into that scene. And now here we are again, using hindsight, interacting with new people, why would I do that without a beer? Like that just mm -hmm. seems too crazy. So, you know, I upgraded though to, um, I think it was Natty Ice. And that was, that was fun. And, you know, it was frat parties. It was groups of friends. Um, I wasn't dating anybody. So it was just, we girls got together and that's where the pre-gaming came in that feeling of let's have a couple drinks before we hit the party or before we hit the downtown. And you just felt a little on top of the world and prepared and on your game. And I'm going to be oh so funny. Dancing on tables is not funny. It's just stupid. But anyway, <laughs> we did our best. Um, college, I did avoid a consequence. I had gotten into a car from a party and drove from one side of campus to another and I crossed a lane. I, I did cross the yellow lane or yellow line rather, um, bending down to reach something and I got pulled over. And long story short, um, I was certainly underage, kind of did the math in my head and I don't recall what it was, but I opted to not do a breathalyzer and then was able, I honestly, Paul, don't know how I did it, but I talked my way out of it. Mm. And he's like, if everything you're telling me is the truth, I will send you home right now, but you need to go back to your, you know, college apartment, stay there for the night. I'm like, absolutely. I got off with a lane violation, a $72 lane violation. Oh, wow. Okay. And so there was a potential, up. potential major red flag right there. Yeah. But you got away with it. You're 19. Sure. You're invincible. Did yeah. I stay at that apartment? Like I promised? No, I watched his car go and I went back to the party and continued on. So yes, that perhaps a signpost. College was very much like that. If I look back on college, it was a wonderful experience. Magna cum laude, 
advanced classes, I still did my work. And I was a Thursday, Friday and Saturday drinker all the way up till um, the end of my senior year. Um, that what I just told you now is one of the bigger consequences, maybe got myself in some hairy situations that you don't want your daughter in. But um, all of it, drinking was surrounded by it. Did I make the bad call? Yes. But drinking was always involved with the bad calls. Senior year towards the end, I met a really nice guy at a bar on a Wednesday night. And uh, we started dating, uh, finished off college together. And I, and not his fault, my choices, but now I was exposed to everyday drinking. You know, I already had grad school lined up. The grades were great no real consequences. I didn't look like I had a problem. I was never the fall down drunk, but I, we, he and I started going to the bars and that's where I went from beer to something a little harder and um, ended up being a big, huge group of friends moving on into graduate school, more of the same did well, you know, stuck to the rules, that kind of thing. Stayed together with this guy. We I graduated in 2001. Just if I can put a timestamp there, we're now looking at 2001 and market crashed after some, you know, tough events of our country. And it was hard to find a job. So he and I decided let's pick up and move to Arizona, but he wanted to get married first. So I was like, oh, again, hindsight, people pleasing. I was like, I like you, but not that much. But everybody else who is in this friend group will be mad at me if I don't say yes. So, okay. Was this the same husband that you're married to now? It's not, it's not. This ex and I, we went off to, to Arizona and had a great time, but it was all wrapped in drinking. And um, you asked earlier, when do you think you realized it was a problem? And I think this was the time because, you know, we were younger, not a lot of discretionary income yet. And we'd be maxing out credit cards because we're going out all of the time. So the Mm -hmm. idea was like, we can stay inside, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays and you'd come to Wednesday and we just couldn't. And it was a joke. Because and you were drinking now, about every night of the week when you moved to Arizona with this. Yeah. Okay. Was, was you, did you get married before you went? We did. We got married okay. and then we left pretty shortly after that. And we're about 25, 26 years old now. Gotcha. So you're drinking, was it every night of the week, but two, night. two nights of those week to save money, you're staying in, uh, you're in your mid twenties, early relationship. Uh, there's a progression with alcohol yes. and, uh, tell us when it, when, when the internal guidance system was like, yo, Stephanie, what's yeah. going on? Like we're trying to, we're hanging out with people that drink as much, or you're seeing other drinking patterns, trying to justify it. When did that type of inner dialogue start to take place? You know, what ended up happening is when he and I did split up, I was by myself. I moved back home and I moved into Boston and I was excited for, you know, what would be next. That's when I started to drink alone. And I think even though I was like, oh, I'm fine, I'm having a couple glasses of wine, I also kind of knew. So that progression started ramping up. I would drink alone at night, you know, finish work day and all of that. I did end up meeting my husband now, and he is just a, he's just a ball of fun. He has so much great energy and, and he drinks and we would go out and we would have a blast. You know, we would go on water slides and stuff. We drank together. We never had consequences with one another. Again, like eyes of the law, health, everything seems to be going okay. One or two fights that probably were amplified that wouldn't have been if we hadn't been drinking, but nothing serious. But something still in the back of my head is like still doing this every night. Married, kid number one, pregnancy, and drink it all, no problem. Quickly pregnant number two. And that was when the light bulb really went off, Paul. It was 
I was like, hurry up nine months. I was mm, really okay. looking for it to be done. Sure. And I couldn't understand the discomfort I was attributing it to new mom, full-time job. You know, we we're trying to figure out how to do this stuff. So when my second was born, that's when I think I switched from a bottle of wine to a box of wine because it held four bottles. So the idea that I drank one last night is hidden, right? Yeah. And the beauty of a box of wine is you can't see the level of the wine inside, right? You don't quite right. know, was it one or was it a big one or was it a, a, a heaping three? Right. And you know what else is easy to do? If he's not home, you can go get rid of the empty box that you emptied in three and a half days and go get a new one. And who knows? That it's the new one. Yeah. I realize the box doesn't clink either, right? Yeah. You can almost toss it into the oh. recycle bin or trash can with uh, without like looking over your shoulder. You just throw it in. It makes oh, no noise. Cycle shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you would drop that in the bin and someone's like, did you have a party? And I was like, no, it was called last week. Like, no, okay. <laughs> so you had your yeah. second, you had, I think it was seven and nine of your kids. Yeah. So nine years ago or seven years ago, you had your second one. I definitely want to leave time for, you've got two and a half years away from alcohol. Let's definitely leave a good chunk of time for that. Got it. Um, but try to get us up to speed of, you know, I think around this time we're like the moderating. Did you try to moderate? Did you try to cut back? Did you try to quit? And was that successful? Yeah. And then did that also raise some flags? Like, oh shit, the claws yeah. of alcohol are deep. This will be final phase. Um, I, I was telling my husband that I was stopping and, but I wasn't. COVID was, was coming in. And in order to hide drinking, I was going out and buying those little, little mini bottles. We call them nips up here. In Mont- in uh, nips, shooters. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Little nips. I mean, and, and so I was hiding those and they were one spot in the house and I could figure out where to get rid of them. And so that's what I was doing. He had no ask, idea. Let me ask you a question, Stephanie. Yeah. When you, and I've done this, right. And I know a lot of people listening are, or their heads are going, yeah, the nips, the shooters, we've done it. And my, my nips were actually 1.75 liters of vodka that I had <laughs> hidden around the house everywhere when my parents cleaned out the basement. I remember that. I was like, oh shit. Vodka. Always vodka. <laughs> yeah. But was there a voice inside your head that was like, oh crap, I'm yeah. hiding this from my husband and I'm like tiptoeing and I know where to hide these. Cause there's like this master plan of how we get rid of it and hide it. It's quite orchestrated and well thought oh. out. Like what was that narrative? Oh, I was brilliant. I hid them in um, the tampon box. Cause who's going to go look there? Yeah. In the I bathroom. Look there. Brilliant. Nope. Right. Nope. Yep. I, the moment, thought. the voice, the day, the voice went from my head to this big, huge ringing was when I caught myself at maybe 11 AM in the bathroom, pulling one of those nips out of that blue box and slugging it down. And I caught myself in the mirror. Caught my in the mirror. Was this 2020? This was 2020. My back started hurting and I just knew. I knew I was causing physical damage to my liver because I was eating straight vodka. Okay. So I had, yeah, I went to the doctor and got that confirmed. (laughs) So, so with this moment and a lot of ways to frame it, this could be a moment of clarity also, but it's 11 a.m. It's 2020. So three years ago, and you're taking a, a nip or a shooter at 11 a.m. in the bathroom, you turn and you make eye contact or you view somebody that's familiar to you. But also at the same time, I remember looking at myself in the mirror around those moments and that person was not familiar to me. It was this like existential loss of I'm losing my soul. I'm losing the connection to myself. Did that somehow, was did that correlate with you when you looked at yourself in the mirror? What was that feeling? It was, it was so gone. It felt so gone. 
I didn't, I didn't recognize myself because my eyes were different. My face was drawn. I felt sad. Mm -hmm. I just felt so sad and defeated because my little kids are wonderful. You know, I, um, I, like I mentioned, I did not grow up in a house drinking, but I grew up with a lot of my, my parents had a lot of mental health, which kept them disconnected. And I just knew I needed to figure out what I, how to connect and make sure that I was present and calm and the best version of myself that I could be. Otherwise I was just going to repeat a pattern, even though theirs didn't involve alcohol, the disconnection was going to continue. And I wanted to make sure that stopped. And that's the sadness that I saw in the eyes. Stephanie, that's a, that's a huge point you're making right there. Um, a value bomb we'll, we'll, we'll call it. Right. So I don't think genetically alcoholism is passed down. I know some of you are listening to that, like what that's bullshit. I've been doing this for a while and I used to think it, it was, but what is passed down is unconsciousness and the disconnection. That's what you said. What is passed down generationally, generationally through generational trauma, it's a disconnection. It's a it's hard for parents to connect with kids when they have their own generational trauma to deal with. And then what the kids do, they see their parents cope with alcohol, and it's almost like a monkey see monkey do. It's a learned behavior. It's just how it happens. Okay, was your last drink September sixth with a vodka nip at eleven a.m. or or was it well before that? It wasn't that particular day, but that set me calling the doctor. So it was about a week later. I still kept doing this for about a week. Oh, okay. But that was a major, major light on the wall, whatever color, just say, oh gosh, you called your doctor when you were with, with the doctor, the question, he asked this, well, how much are you drinking, Stephanie? What was your response? On that day, I was honest. Okay. But you bring up a beautiful point, which is, Throughout for the prior 25 years, it was always like, oh, two, three glasses. You know, I have kids. You know, I'm a mom. You know, I, I totally played into the mommy wine. So I always lied. <laughs> All right. Here, here we go, listeners. You're not going to quit drinking unless you're ready. And here's a barometer to tell if you're ready. If a doctor, physician, clinician asks you how much you've been drinking and you tell them the truth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what was that week like? It was really sad. Um, I was in a lot of pain and um, I st- my husband still did not know that I was drinking. My kids didn't know, but I knew it was truly the cognitive dissonance of like, I don't want to drink. Why do I keep drinking? Mm-hmm. So I do. I think I needed a physical reason to knock on a doctor's door and say, take blood work. It could just be indigestion. I think I drink too much. Please take blood work and see what my liver levels are. I just pushed because I had these beautiful boys and my, you know, they're crazy, Paul, they wrestle in the living room and then they run and tell me they love me and kiss me while they're holding a frog and they take off. And the thought was, is like, how much am I going to miss if I keep up this hidden vodka habit? And I write that I was going to miss all of it. Yeah. I pushed and I actually, you know, it was a little pin prick of the confidence that has come through since, which was no, this is not indigestion. This is this. Look for it. Tell me when my results hit, hit patient media gateway or whatever it is. And I got those on September 8th. So my last drink was September 6th, went to the doctor, 8th, got the um, results. And that's when I burned the, the, the dinghy because I burned <laughs> bigger ships later. Okay. But I burned the dinghy and sure. I looked at my husband and I said, I've been lying to you. Oh, wow. Okay. But first off, would would the blood results come back with some alarming results? Alarming. Okay. 
Okay. Alarming. Everything else was fine. And it was just, what is it? The ACT or AST. And I'm going to forget the other one. Sure. But, um, you know, let's pretend they're supposed to be mid range 15. They were like 148. Gotcha. And yeah. Everything is fine, Stephanie, but your liver is on fire. Do we talk about that? It, it hates you. It hates sure. you. So I actually don't think that's a burning of the dinghy. I think if you talk to your to your husband and your family, that's that's a level five ship burn. If you if you take if you took the restore you course, right. we do a level <laughs> one through a level five. A level five is like your whole family or a social media post, right? A level one is like an internal ship burn, right? You look yourself yeah. in the mirror. But that's also a big one as well. That's the most ship most important ship burning you can make is with yourself. So how did how, how did they how did they respond? Wow, Stephanie, we're all ears. I'll never forget this moment because I was prepared for mm-hmm. yelling and anger. Um, and it wasn't there. He, he has these big blue eyes and he just looked at me and everything softened. And he said, okay, what do you want to do? Hmm. And um, I'm honestly, you know, okay, a little throat here. No, I married my best friend and I know how fortunate I am because as it, as it move as we move forward, I don't have somebody, you know, I just have somebody that supports what I need. So he was okay with it. He wanted to hear a little bit more. And then he shared with me a story when his liver hurt back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, it was, so, it was re- I was really fortunate. So listeners, I call this the reverse intervention almost, of burning the ships. It's, it's having these conversations with somebody else on your own accord because it's going to happen. It's going to come to the surface eventually. And it might have been five years later for you, but you can do it on your own accord where you set the meeting and you speak with consciousness, you speak, just stick to the facts. Hey, this is how much I've been drinking. This is what happens when I drink. I would like to quit. This is how you can help me. And that reaction from your husband is is very common. It's it's very rare when I don't hear a reaction like that. It's it's fantastic to hear. Um, That's how human beings are wired. When somebody opens up and they're vulnerable with a real, real issue, we are wired to help other people, especially our family. And that worked for you. It's September 6th, 2020. That's your current sobriety streak. That's the run. Yeah. Hell yeah, Stephanie. Yeah. And again, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think those COVID sobriety dates are just badass. <laughs> We're indoors. I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, liquor stores are deemed essential businesses, which they 100% were because there's a large constituency of our society that is physically addicted to alcohol. Right. We'd have had a major issue if we closed uh, hospitals. We needed those beds for COVID patients, not people detoxing from the most addictive drug on the planet. So walk us through that first week, that first month away from alcohol. Sure. I realized I had to do something very different um, because I had tried to moderate, uh, and we know that that's a purgatory hell and mo- for most people. Um, so the very first week, I says I have to find three things to do that are different. One, I've told you the truth. Two, I've had some AA meetings under my belt, but I'm not sure. I because oh, this is again COVID. I'm not sure online AA. I'm going to feel the connection, and I didn't realize connection was going to be so pivotal to what it was, um, but I knew there was something I needed. I found what's called Women for Sobriety, WFS, and it's language uh, basically wrapped me in a big, huge hug. So I got into a meeting that first week. I think it was within a couple of weeks, but I found them and I went to my first meeting within the first couple of weeks. So I connected and um, I said to my husband, one thing that I've never been good at is ensuring I have time, an hour to myself. And right now I'm going to listen to podcasts and walk. And, you know, I just never felt comfortable. And this was my own issues around 
feeling like default parent and things like that. I mean, you know, moms don't need wine or a break. They need a revolution in a lot of ways. I hadn't been asking for time by myself and I didn't know yet about my nervous system and uh, burnout and anything. So I connected, I told the truth and I insisted on time by myself. And I really, I, I heard the quote, no is a complete sentence. And even though since it was COVID, we weren't going out and about much. I always had called myself the introverted extrovert. I get, whereas my husband loves to go out and do things, drinking made those things easier. And I was like, I'm going to have to say no. When you would have expected me to say yes, I can no longer say yes to please you or hope you don't get mad. I am going to say no. So it was kind of those tools, not recognizing yet that they were tools. Stephanie, there's some things I want to unpack there. First off, <laughs> purgatory hell when describing moderation, that might be the best way I've heard anybody describe moderation on this podcast. It is so painful. We'll have like one or two days of, yes, I'm a normal drinker in the can. I'm good to go. And then whoop, there goes the rug. I love that. Yeah. Um, I like how you said moms don't need wine or a break. They need a revolution. Now, Dr. Gaber Mate, I think he's the addiction guru of our, of our time. He's 78 years old, just had a great book about addiction or how the environment is creating all the Western illnesses. And a big thing, he is on a proponent for prenatal care that mothers are just not getting the care they need these days for themselves, for the child. And then what's up addiction? What's up depression, anxiety, mental disorder, all that jazz. And then language is a hug. Wow. That's poetic, Stephanie. Oh my goodness. I, I appreciate like that. that coming from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, I, I read this a couple months ago about language and why human beings have been so successful. Dogs bark you know, eagles, caw, whatever. Uh, animals make noise, but we're one of the only species that can form the vowels and the consonants. And yeah. and I've, I've heard language at its very fundamental structure is art. It's vibration. Yeah. It's the same thing as music and how we are able to make those noises and alphabet. It is an incredible creation that only a couple societies in the history of humanity have ever been able to do. And currently there's about 6,000 languages spoken on, uh, on the planet right now, which is just crazy. But all of them, it's a hug, right? When we when we hear something framed in such a beautiful way, there's a word of poetry, right? Wonderful. Lyrics and music. And I think that's why Quitlet or a podcast can be a very good recovery tool because you'll hear something framed in a way it's the vibration and it resonates with you. So resonate is a powerful word, resonate. It's your sales. It resonates. It vibrates in a way that it's in tune with you at the right time. So wow. Language, language <laughs> is a hug. <laughs> good, good stuff. Um, I heard AA, there was three pillars in there. AA connection. You said you didn't know how big of a part connection was. And then women for sobriety, which is, I've heard that before, not too often on this podcast, but I've heard it's a great program. Oh my gosh. It's called a new life and um, not to sit here and promote, but I just want to say, cause it's an actual tool for me. Mm -hmm. The, when you introduce yourself in a WFS meeting, you go, hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm a caring, competent, capable, and compassionate woman. And then you go on and you talk about a positive for the, for the week, or perhaps something that night that was negative, but you were able to reframe and bring your program to, and you attach it to one of the 13 statements that, you know, if you dig down fundamentally, it's very similar to AA, but the language is so 
it's empowering. And today I was a little nervous to see you, Paul. So I just kept chanting my mantra. I'm caring, capable, competent, compassionate, caring, capable. You know, I've I've done things. That's how you introduce yourself in a WFS meeting. Yes. um, Opposed to my name is Paul. I'm an alcoholic, which I'm okay with that. Right. I've broken up with that word a couple of times. I still go to AA. I like the humbling factor of that. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm an alcoholic. Like, what do you got now? This is me. (laughs) And I also like that. Yo, I'm Paul. I'm a cool guy who likes nature. I like model trains. I like standard poodles. I got a loving wife. I play ukulele. And don't here's my shit. <laughs> Did you say don't talk about the snakes? I said, let's talk about the snakes. I'm actually oh. intrigued. <laughs> oh, you, you are. Okay. Let's do this. You asked. And okay. So in sobriety, one of uh, the rules we have here is rule 22. This is never take your tell self too seriously. But on the flip side of that, joy has to be part of the recovery pathway. The healing pathway cannot be more stressful than the, the pathway into sickness and illness. And I've always had a fascination for reptiles, more specifically snakes. And thanks to YouTube, I think YouTube is one of the greatest creations with technology. And you can leverage it either way. But I remember- like my kids. Yeah. But you, if you leverage technology in a healthy way, I would see other people who would, who also had the same interest and say, wait a second, it's not weird. And it's beautiful. And I have two snakes. One of them is a common boa, which, you, which you'll see in Central America. And the other one is a corn snake. If you go to PetSmart and say, hey, my kids never had a snake, that's what they'll get you. But <laughs> I'm so fascinated with them. When I come out in the morning cool. or like if I go to restroom in the middle of the night, or come out to have, I don't know, like a sandwich at 2 a.m. I'll always turn on the lights at both aquariums and I'll try to find it because they cruise around at night. I'm like, oh, I found it. And it just adds me, adds so much joy. And another part with that is all of our souls are connected, right? Animals and humans. I think my dog, I have a standard poodle named Ben. I think my dog, there's a reason I like snakes because my dog loves snakes more than me. It's the weirdest thing. Like we'll, we'll, we'll put like a burger out or, or like his favorite treat. He'd be like, screw this. The boa constrictor's out. I want the wiggly thing. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't bite it. He doesn't want to eat it. He's just so fascinated with it. So so thank you for asking. And I think a good insert here would be if there is a joy that wants to emerge or there's a hobby when you were a child or a kid that just lit you up, that is part of your recovery, air quotes, work. That is where you need to go. It's this inner discovery. It's recovering that person inside or that little kiddo. I, I love it. Stephanie, you know, what's on your bucket list in sobriety? Oh my gosh. On my bucket list of sobriety. That was with a B, not an F. I get it. I get it. (laughs) You said, I was like, oh, maybe I said that wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I have so many things that I do want to do. I'm going to Barcelona while it's a work trip. It will be my first international trip sober. Um, so I'm looking forward to flexing that sober muscle and getting out there because I think that that's going to spur more international travel in a way that I didn't do it before, which was like, let's get in the heart city and see how I can get sangria. Now it's going to be, let's go to Ireland, walk around, but I want to go out in the countryside and I want to see sheep jump over fences. I want to get out into nature and I want to be able to do that kind of travel, um, on a much more tactical level. Um, my bucket list. Um, I think I'm sitting smack dab in some of this bucket right now. I am very much a present mom Mm. and partner, and I find such calm and joy in spending time with these children. I feel fortunate because I may be one of very few parents who can raise their hand and say, screw mom guilt. I show up, I lose my mind some days, but I apologize and I'm teaching them how to do that. And I'm just that level of presence brings such a, like a calm and it slows things down in life. 
that I feel like that's just the overall bucket list. When it's calmer, when it's a little bit slower, when the stuff like this morning comes flying at you, you can take that pause. You can make a phone call to a WFS sister who you might need to talk to in that moment. She grounds you and tells you why you're sober in the first place. And the first act is to take responsibility for yourself and for your actions and your well-being. And I feel like we can do that so much more. So in a way, I've got a bucket list that I'm writing, but it's going to get me into international travel someday soon. Maybe even write a book. I don't know about what. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Value Bomb 33 you just dropped was take a pause, right? And that's what Patrick fully talks about in our courses a lot. It's the pause before you know, have the stimulus and then the reaction. And for most of us, it's, there's no pause. There's no break. It's the gap. It's the response. And that's what we're gifted when we step away from alcohol. We're, st- we're given a repose to choose our reaction. We can't choose life. We choose the reaction. Fantastic yeah. stuff. I, I got, I got one more question, Stephanie, before we hit the rapid fire round, you know, what you're coming up on two and a half years, or maybe you might be there, but like, it's, that's, that's a different type of recovery than year one. You know, what are you working on now? What is, what is being uncovered? What is being revealed? Like where, where's, what's your recovery look like right now? Right. Thank you. It's such a good question. And I hope you're asking this of so many people right now, the I, not drinking is not at the forefront any longer. That's not to say it wasn't difficult. It's a, it's such an integral and beautiful part of recovery is removing the alcohol but I am so geared up for more meditation and time in nature because I feel that that's gonna elevate this ability to continue to slow down and appreciate what's around you. In the New Life program, I've recognized my ability to reframe. Victim mentality is so far gone and it is such a darn gift. I wanna keep that rolling. I believe that there is an ability to elevate further beyond any kind of victim mentality and uh, really feel in control even when things are out of control, it's okay. So I just want to kind of continue to find tools with around that. And I think that's some more meditation, trying to find that time during the day to do it. Cause I know it's my responsibility to go find that time. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Well, Stephanie, we've reached the rapid fire round. Chris Q music. Are you ready? If you could answer these questions in 10 to 30 seconds, that would be great. All right, let's do this. Stephanie, what's the one thing you learned about yourself since quitting drinking? Oh, I have to say, it is. It is the ability to pause and the confidence you gain from that. Responding, not reacting. All right. Best sober moment. Ah, the boat. We have a boat that we take out here in the Parker River. It used to be associated with a different activity. I remember the day that we went out totally sober, had the best day, didn't think about drinking at all. And on our way back, I was leaning back on the bow of the boat, looked up in the sky and there was this huge puffy white cloud. And I felt like this joy, just this joy. And I was like, oh, hello. I don't remember you. I I think we met when I was eight. I'm going to hold on to that. (laughs) That was a good moment. Lame joke alert. Listeners, burning the ships is purely metaphorical. There is no need to actually go set ablaze (laughs) to anything in your fleet. Okay. What is the point of life, Stephanie? Live it. That just came out of my head. Live it. All right. First response is always the best one. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Lagunitas Hoppy Refresher. Comes in a Ah, bottle with a little dog on it. Yeah. Favorite 80s band? Madonna or Paula Abdul. Mm. Blondie Ambition Tour, Madonna. Ah, okay. I like it. If you had a pet seagull, what would it be? What would you name it? Poop. All right. Speak from the heart. I love it. Pineapple Uh on pizza. Yes or no? Yes. If somebody else is eating it. 
<laughs> All right. The last question, Stephanie, what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners? Can I take yours? Never stop quitting. I think I took that from somebody else as well. So absolutely don't quit quitting. quitting. (laughs) Yeah. And then before we go, Stephanie, what's a customize you might need to ditch the booze if line? Oh, uh, oh, if you're in airport security and they pull you over to check your bag because they saw little perfume bottles in it, but it was really just nips. There we go. That classifies, that works. You're in the right place. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your story, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it's probably 25,000 people will listen to that. And uh, I know it's going to help a lot of people. It's helped me. I know I feel a little bit lighter after this. Again, this the focal the, 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 the focal point of this whole thing is connecting with another person, another like-minded individual. We just did that. So thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you for how many people you're connecting with and getting these conversations out there. And the theme of keeping it simple... I'm going to close with a great Bob Marley lyric, which so far has proved true for me. The song lyric is, every little thing is going to be all right. Recovery Elevator, you can do this. I love you guys. Get clear, be clear on why you're doing this, and then 